When the United States was called on to supply the Allies with much of its wheat and flour, we fortunately found at hand a plentiful supply of a great variety of other cereals. The use of corn was, of course, not an experiment. Generations of Southerners have flourished on it. But we also had oats, rice, barley, rye, buckwheat, and such local products as the grain sorghums which are grown in the South and West. All of them are cereals, and all can be used interchangeably with wheat in our diet. To understand clearly the value of cereals in the diet today, it is well to review the part played by food in general. Europe today is eating to live. She therefore thinks of food not in terms of menus, but as a means of keeping up bodily functions, as sources of protein, carbohydrate, and fat, terms seldom heard outside of the university a few years ago. The significance of different kinds of food. We need food, first of all, to burn as fuel for all the activities of the body, just as any other machine needs fuel. The fuel value of food, or its energy, is measured in calories. A calorie measures the amount of heat or energy given off when anything burns, whether it is coal in a stove or food in the body. Practically all foods give this fuel or energy, but some give much more than others. Fats give more fuel than an equal weight of any other food. Sugar and foods rich in starch like flour and cornmeal are fuel foods. This is one of the reasons why they are chosen to be shipped abroad. The cereals always supply an important part of the fuel of the diet. Watery foods, like many vegetables and fruits, normally give less fuel. A person could not live on lettuce any better than a house could be heated with tissue paper. If the food does not supply enough energy, a person will burn up part of his own body for fuel and will grow emaciated. Far too often we find children of the very poor who are undernourished because of lack of food fuel. Sometimes even well-to-do young people half-starve themselves because they get notions about food. One of the terrible tragedies abroad is the hundreds and thousands of men and women and children who are worn and thin and sick for lack of food. We need food, too, to keep the organs of the body running smoothly. Abroad, people are suffering not only because they have not enough food, but because they have not the right kinds of food. Milk and vegetables and fruits are especially useful. They are the chief sources of the much-needed mineral salts and the two vitamins. The vitamins are substances of great importance, about which has centered much discussion lately, and which scientists do not yet fully understand, though they realize that they are essential for the growth of children and for health in adults. The protein of food is used to build the body if we are young, and to restore the daily wear and tear if we are older. The mineral salts are also necessary for this purpose. Protein will be discussed further in the chapter on meat and meat substitutes, but it should be realized here that the protein we eat comes not only from these foods, but also from the cereals. Cereals supply a full half of the protein of many diets. Cereals are therefore important for their fuel, since they are rich in starch, and for their protein, 
and if we eat the entire kernel for their mineral matter and vitamins. They also have the pleasant flavor and texture which we have grown to like. Wheat is no better than the other cereals. It possesses absolutely no nutritional advantage for man or beast over oats, corn, and rye. It has no more protein and no better protein. It has no more fat and no better fat. It has no better mineral salts and in no larger amounts. It has no more fuel or better fuel. It is just one of the cereals, and there is not the slightest evidence that it is the best one. It has merely become one of our habits. Corn and wheat and the other cereals are just as well digested, if equally well prepared. A soggy piece of wheat bread may, of course, be less readily digestible than a well-made piece of cornbread. But that is a question of skill in cooking, not of difference in cereals. Complaints have been heard in England about the war bread. It is true that it may be hard on those of frail digestive powers to change their food habits in any way. But Hutchison, an eminent London physician, in tracing down complaints, found that frequently people laid to the new bread ailments from which they had suffered before the war. When in doubt, blame the war bread seemed to be the motto. The Social Importance of Cereals, Especially Wheat The world eats more cereals than any other kind of food. They are so widely available, so cheap and nutritious, that they are our main reliance of the human race. A shortage is always extremely serious. Not only is an abundance important, but an abundance of the accustomed kind. In parts of India, the inhabitants use rice as almost the only cereal. When the rice crop failed some years ago, thousands of people died of starvation with a supply of wheat available. They did not know the use of wheat as food. Countries like France, which use their cereals chiefly for bread, are the most dependent on wheat, since wheat is the most easily made into bread. In the United States, cereals make up almost one-third of our food. Although wheat in most parts of the country has been the main dependence, we have used a much greater variety of cereals than most people, so that it is comparatively simple for the majority to make increased use of them. The very poor must depend largely upon cereals because they can get more for their money from them than from other foods. Cereals to most of them mean bread. It is such a large part of their diet that doing without it means a far more fundamental and difficult change in their food habits than for the well-to-do with greater freedom of choice. Besides, the already overburdened working woman must get her bread in the easiest possible way, a ready-made loaf from the baker. The burden of scarcity or high prices falls on those least able to bear it. Europeans eat even larger amounts of wheat than we. Over half the food of the French is bread. So if the wheat shortage were near the danger line, it might lead to a serious weakening of the marvelous courage of the French people. Wheat flour in wartime. To use this country's share of the short supply of wheat to the greatest advantage, the Food Administration has changed the making of flour to include more of the wheat kernel. The difference between peace and wartime flour is easily understood if the structure of grains is considered. 
Wheat and other cereals have kernels much alike. All have three principal parts. The outer covering, called bran, is made up of several layers. This is rich in important mineral salts, and the rest is largely cellulose or woody fiber. The germ is the small part from which the new plant will develop. Here the small amount of fat in the kernel is stored. The largest part of the kernel, called the endosperm, contains the nourishment to be used by the plant as it begins to develop. This is mostly starch with some protein. It is the part of the wheat, for instance, which is chiefly used to make our white flour. The kind of flour made depends on how much and what parts of the kernel are used. Graham flour is manufactured by grinding practically all of the wheat kernel, a 100% use of the grain, called 100% extraction. Some people still fail to realize that Graham flour and Graham bread are wheat, perhaps because of the different name and the brown color. The so-called whole wheat flour is often 95% of the kernel only, but may be as little as 85%, depending on the amount of the bran and germ removed in the making. Ordinary white flour contains the endosperm alone, with practically none of the bran and germ. Some brands before the war used up as little as 56% of the wheat, leaving the rest of it to be turned into lower-grade flours and cattle feed. White flour thus uses less of the wheat for human food than graham or whole wheat flour. Yet, to convert all the country's wheat into graham flour would not be a wheat-saving measure, because it is not so well suited to our trade conditions. Graham flour, for one thing, does not keep so well as flour of lower extractions as the fat in the germ may become rancid in a comparatively short time. Flour in this country is often 30 days or longer in transit and maybe months in warehouses, stores, and homes. A flour to be satisfactory under extreme conditions here or for shipment abroad must keep at least six months, too long to be sure that graham flour will keep. In small countries like England, where flour is used up more promptly, a high extraction is more practicable than in the United States. Moreover, while graham and whole wheat flours with their larger quantities of mineral salts are a more desirable food for some people than white flour, they are occasionally irritating to people with weak digestions, so that it would be unfortunate to have only these flours on the market. The Food Administration, therefore, has considered that the most effective use of our wheat could be obtained by forbidding the manufacture of fancy flours of low extraction and making all flour contain at least 74% of the wheat. This still gives a fine white flour that keeps well and is difficult to distinguish from that on the market before the war. To help in the enforcement of its flour rulings, the Food Administration has licensed all mills and elevators which handle over 100 barrels of flour a day. If the rulings of the Food Administration are not obeyed, the license may be taken away and the business closed. The hoarding of flour has been stopped by prohibiting mills, elevators, and bakers from having more than 30 days' supply on hand. The 50-50 rule, another way to cut the consumption of wheat. 
Not only must the miller manufacture flour in accordance with the new regulations, but the individual consumer must buy it under restrictions. To many people, the first realization that war and food difficulties are necessarily associated came with the announcement in the spring of 1918 of the now familiar rules for the purchase of flour. With every pound of white wheat flour, the purchaser must buy a pound of some other cereal. With every pound of graham flour, three-fifths of a pound of other cereal. The purpose of this regulation is, of course, to lessen the use of wheat by increasing the use of the substitutes. The housekeeper, who through lack of initiative or ingenuity fails to feed the family the substitutes and lets them accumulate on her shelf, has just so far failed to cooperate with the Food Administration. Many a housewife has learned the value of these cereals and will continue to use them long after the war and the Food Administration have passed into history. A little thought will show the absence of any real burden in the 50-50 rule. A housekeeper for her family of four buys five pounds of wheat flour and five pounds of other cereals. She may use one and a quarter pounds of the substitutes with the five pounds of wheat flour to make about eight pounds of victory bread, sufficient to give each member of her family two pounds of bread during the week. She may serve an ounce of oatmeal as the breakfast cereal and an ounce of rice, hominy, or other cereal for each person daily, and will then have used all the substitutes. These cereals can be made into an endless variety of quick breads, cakes, and pastry, or combined with other foods as the main dish of the meal. Substitutes for wheat flour. The cereals on the market are varied enough to suit any taste. Remember that as far as nutritional value is concerned, it makes practically no difference whether we eat wheat or oats, rye or barley. The quantities of starch, protein, mineral matter, and fat are so nearly the same that any one of them can take the place of another. Oatmeal has a slight advantage over wheat in both protein and fat, and since oats is an abundant crop in our country, it is an excellent substitute. Rice has a very little more starch and less protein than the others. There is just one advantage that wheat flour has over the other cereals. It can be made into lighter and more durable bread. The reason for this is given in the next chapter. Corn, the most abundant substitute. Indian corn is native to the United States. Since it carried the pilgrims through their year of famine, it has always been considered our national grain. Other countries have adopted it to some extent, but more than three quarters of the world's corn is grown here. In 1917, our corn crop was three billion bushels, four times as large as our wheat crop. Most of the crop has always been used as a feed grain with only a small percentage for human food. The South has always used much more corn than the North, actually eating more corn than wheat. The foods from corn and the ways of using them are more numerous than is often appreciated. Cornmeal and corn flour are the most important. We are making almost as much cornmeal as wheat flour. The yellow and white cornmeals, milled from different kinds of corn, are practically the same in composition, though slightly different in flavor. The method of milling cornmeal makes more difference in the composition than the kind of corn used. 
The old water ground meal was simply crushed between millstones, and only the coarsest particles of bran bolted out. This ranks with Graham as a product of 100% extraction, and like Graham, it may not keep well because the germ is left in. The new process, more like modern flour milling, removes some of the bran and germ. The product is a granulated cornmeal, which keeps better than the other, and has practically the same composition, though to some people a less desirable flavor. If cornmeal is further ground and bolted, we have corn flour. Some of this has been put on the market lately and is proving a good substitute for wheat flour but the amount available is only a small fraction of the amount of cornmeal. Other important corn products are hominy of different kinds, hulled corn, and popcorn. The latter, usually eaten as an extra, is really a valuable part of the diet. Corn is the same satisfactory food, whether it is eaten as mush in New England, polenta in Italy, or tamales in Mexico. Many of the people of Mexico and Central America live on corn and beans to a surprising extent. In portions of Italy, the rural population have adopted the grain as their main food. Our cornmeal mush is their polenta, which is served sometimes with cheese, sometimes with tomato sauce or meat gravy. Oats an Englishman once taunted a Scotchman with the fact that while England used oats only for her horses, Scotland fed it to her men. Ah, said Sandy, but where will you find such horses as you raise in England and such men as in Scotland? The United States, more like England than Scotland, has used oats mostly for feed. The crop is second only to the corn crop. Oats are eaten in the form of oatmeal, which is a finely granulated meal, and as the common rolled oats which have been steamed and put through rollers. There is little oat flour on the market at present. A successful and palatable homemade flour may be prepared by putting rolled oats through a food chopper. Any of the forms of oats can be used in breads of all kinds, but the more finely ground flour can be substituted in larger proportion. The demand for oat products has grown so rapidly the last year that mills are running to their limit. Special machinery is required for its manufacture so that a great increase in the supply is not feasible in a short time. Barley and Rye In using barley and rye for bread, we are only going back to the methods of our forefathers. Barley is supposed to be one of the first cereals used by man. Good barley flour is a very acceptable substitute for wheat, but if too large a proportion of the kernel is included, it may be bitter in flavor. Rye, of all the cereals, makes bread nearest like wheat, though the rye bread formerly made usually contained from 20% to 80% wheat flour. The supply is far below what we could well use. For this reason, it is not included among the cereals which the housekeeper is allowed to buy on the 50-50 plan, and since March 31, 1918, bakers have not been allowed to use it as a substitute in baking on the same basis as the other substitutes. Rice Rice forms the chief food of hundreds of millions of people, 
and in many Oriental countries it is the staple cereal, like wheat with us. As a wheat substitute, we may use it cooked whole or ground into a flour. The rice flour may be mixed with other cereals in making bread and cakes. The rice polish, which is a byproduct secured by rubbing off with brushes the outside coating of the brown rice, is much cheaper. It has been sold chiefly for stock feed, but it has possibilities as a flour substitute. The rice growers of the South are doing their best to supply the country with rice in quantity and to make known the possibilities of this cereal. The rice flour supply, though not large now, will doubtless be much increased by next year. One Louisiana mill, for example, is increasing its output from 150 to 1,200 barrels a day. Other Cereal Substitutes Besides the substitutes which are common all over the country, there are products produced in too small amounts to make them universal substitutes, such as buckwheat, cottonseed meal, and peanut flour, any of which can be used with other flours for baking. The Southwest produces both flour and meal from Milo, Kaffir, and Federita. Flours are made from the Irish and sweet potato, from tapioca, from soybeans and bananas, but they are manufactured in such small amounts that they do not take the place of wheat to any great extent. Potato flour comes nearest to doing this. It has always been used to some extent in Europe, and it is being widely used in Germany now. Potato itself can be used instead of wheat. An extra potato at a meal will take the place of a large slice of bread. Many of the substitute cereals do not keep so well as wheat, especially if they contain more than a minimum of moisture and fat. The housekeeper and the baker should therefore buy them in small enough quantities to use them up promptly, and should keep them in a cool, well-ventilated place. May and June and the summer months are the time when most care is needed, 